<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey everyone, it's Matthew Zachary, and welcome back to Out of Patience. What was once a show is now a party right here on the same feed you already subscribed to. Why? Because I'm now the ringleader of a whole new cast of senior correspondents with segments featuring opinion pieces, rants, and the latest news about the shit show that is our fabulous healthcare system. The only thing that hasn't changed is our mission to make healthcare suck less for everyone. Let's get started. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Christine Monkhouse. I met her speaking on a panel about diversity and inclusion at a conference for the American something something. No, it's true. I don't remember the name, but I'm just going to say it here. It's a really important conference. She's incredibly credentialed, New York City born and raised. She comes from the world of office assistant and reimbursement specialist, and those people that live in between the patient and the doctor and the health system that you never heard of, but they get all the shit done on your behalf. Her mission in life is to improve how people talk to doctors and how doctors talk to people. It seems simple. It isn't. We got to work on it, but she's in it to win it. Did you know that studies reveal, yes, studies, quote unquote, but I think there's a real study that says that it takes a doctor 11 seconds to interrupt the patient as to explain why they're there to see the doctor. She's the founder of a HIPAA-compliant mobile app called Patient Orator, which is looking to help patients better articulate their needs and their stories and what's important to them to the doctor. And they're going to take that seriously because the app integrates with your electronic medical records and all the nasty jargon that goes in between you and the doctor to understand what's wrong with you, what's important to you, and what you want to get out of your visit with this doctor to help you live a better life. She's a kindred spirit. She's an amazing human being. She's soft-spoken, but with huge energy. I really enjoy talking to her and welcoming her to the studio. So please enjoy my fabulous conversation with Kistine Monkhouse. All right, Kistine, welcome to the show. I just want to let the listeners know, and they know this, because I've said this with many guests that I've had, there's a certain special kind of person that chooses to list their high school on their LinkedIn profile, and you and I are one of those people. That's funny. Why did you choose to do that? I I have never been asked that. Yeah? I put it on there way back and forgot about it. And now I am conscious that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. 
So what, tell me about your high school experience. Uh, It was great. I am an immigrant, so my high school experience has a lot to do with my assimilation into American culture and my falling in love with American history and finding my place in that history because as an immigrant, oftentimes folks feel uh, left out. But for some reason, I found myself in that history and wanting to be a part of being a change maker and uh, creating positive impact in society. Where did your family emigrate from? So we're Guyanese, so South America. We are the only English-speaking country in South America, so I I do not speak Spanish, um, and that's where we're from. Wow. Yeah. So how old were you when you moved here? I was not going to say how old, but I've, at this point, been here for more than half of my life. Okay. That's a fair calculus. Very nice. I, I, I love that you said American history. I think American history is a lost art at this point now all these like man on the streets like who's the president i have no idea how many parts of congress are there i have no idea what did you find most appealing about american history it's not perfect it says a more perfect union indicating it is grotesquely imperfect i like the evolution of it as a black person slavery has a lot to do with a lot for oh, me yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. And you can see not only the slavery aspect of, of, of American history as, as the country as the country itself go from infancy into where it is right now, a fully developed a country. But I really like following the story of starting over in a new place and finding itself to becoming what it was at a certain point in time. Right. Don't want to get too political. Um, and where it is today. You could say whatever the hell you want on this show. <laughs> I, I'm sure we're on the same uh, we're, we're on the same side of the ideas. Yeah, I, I think what I'm trying to get at is if you if you go back to the first of the people that were originally here to the people that then the first set of immigrants that came through, and then where that took. I'm getting lost in my thoughts. I'll That's tell okay. You, that. you can yeah. get lost in your thoughts. You're, I told you you're too smart for the show. <laughs> No, I, I, I like I really appreciate, I think, from learning all aspects of it uh, when we're speaking about women's history or we're speaking about the civil rights movement. All of those have special places. And I think it, it is very much relevant. The history is relevant today in every aspect of society as we interact with people out in the streets or as we encounter healthcare or any aspect of life, really, that history is very prevalent. Um, and I think we are creating history every single moment as we continue to be um, here. Yeah, I, I use the metaphor that every time there is actual progress, it's kind of like a bit of an ebb tide where you see more of the beach and you realize, oh, we got that to deal with now. That's what I like about it. It's it's evolving. It doesn't stay stagnant. Right. So that's where I find myself in it. Where do I create impact? Well, that's so many people want it to stay stagnant and they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I love that you chose to get into healthcare, and we're going to get to all of the amazing things that you are doing that are, are, are so worthy of sharing with my listeners and, and, and honestly with the world is extraordinary stuff. Going back to your, I love you said assimilation. <laughs> Just a strange word to use. What were some of the more stranger things you had to learn to adapt to as a kid growing up here? I think everything. Literally everything. Everything. Well, you were in New York City, right? You moved to New York I City. I was in New York City. Yes. Yes. 
You know what? I come from a country that up until very recently, there wasn't a lot of activity in terms of development. We were a third world country. We have since striked oil, which means that we have a lot of friends now, (laughs) right? And resources that changes a makeup of a country. Yeah. Um, And it changes the outlook of a country. There was a time of which I was growing up, my parents were growing up and the generations behind that, there was really no hope. The reason why so much of, of, of being here was new to me is because I come from a place that isn't as developed as the United States, isn't as developed as even New York City as or New York State itself. So going from um, watching electricity come to my little town where I'm from to now coming to a place where there is high speed Internet and all of that, all of those little things that most people would overlook were new to me. That's why I appreciate my experience here. That's extraordinary. I mean, it really does ground you in perspective of things we just take for granted. Oh, our toilet's flush, right? Yes. <laughs> things like that. I read this today as, as of this taping today here uh, at the end of June. I read that the country of Uganda just discovered a gold mining ore worth $2 trillion. And the whole plant, oh, hey, Uganda, how you doing there? Friends <laughs> We're going to see Target and <laughs> Best Buy showing up there real soon. Best friends. My God. But I've interviewed lots of people who've emigrated here from developing nations. And yeah, we lose sight of the fact that if you're coming from a community where the school's outdoors or there's like satellite Nokia phones and really no true internet and you're not connected to 3,000 useless channels of crap every day. And then you're like down the deep end of the pool coming to this crazy country and seeing all these things. So when did you get your first smartphone? Not very long after moving because it was during that time when all of the kids started having phones. And so it it wasn't a long time of having a smartphone. I would say going back to what you just said, right? I grew up playing outside and community was so very important. I think one of the biggest cultural shock for me was coming to an apartment building where it's you're now refined in this space mm-hmm. and and how do you express yourself as a child and what does that mean? Really school and a part of why I appreciate my experience here is that was the only outlet to be a child as as a as a as an immigrant that that was so very young. And so I'm, I'm appreciative of my experience here and the New York City public school or public schools. They do a good job. I mean, for what it's worth, the, the system here is like 1.2 million kids. It's like the biggest school system on the planet. You can't make it, you know, it's like, you're. oh, we have 200 kids in my high school. Well, I have 4,000 kids in my high school. So imagine what that means for somebody that's coming in, right? right? That is only used to seeing life one way. And mm-hmm. now we have like people from all walks of life, yep. socioeconomic speaking. And then we have people from different cultures and you're sitting alongside them at a, at a desk like this for lunch or in a, in a classroom. That's where I think the magic happens uh, when you move to New York, of all places in the USA. This right. is the place to move if yeah. you want to move somewhere. Really incredible. I have, a, I have a dear friend who was a Liberian refugee and she came here in her early teen years and I imagine the cell phone, she was given a cell phone and she went from basically impoverished as a refugee to this country and then had the entire world's information in her hand. And she could not wrap her head around 
that insane shift from this to that in like a matter of months. And here you are working in digital health, using the internet, using big data, coming from your background. That must, I mean, do you rack your brain around? Like, how am I here? It's amazing. I don't. You should. I don't. Uh, take the compliment. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> You've chosen to jump down this rabbit hole of healthcare. You have a master's in public administration. What drove you to do that? I worked on the front lines. One of my first jobs was working as a nursing assistant, working in the homes of folks um, and taking care of their elderly parent or grandparent. Uh, I, I fell in love with healthcare. I, I loved just how special that relationship was, not only with the patients or patient that I was caregiving for, but the rest of the team and what that looked like. And it might have been the children, the adult children, or it might have been the doctors from various different practices. But I, I really I really appreciated that experience because it drove me into healthcare. And then when I became a certified nursing assistant working at the nursing home that I did, um, it was an experience that was really gut-wrenching in terms of seeing inhumaneness in, 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 in healthcare. That's the place to start to realize everything is totally fucked up. Yes. What did you see? Is it like atrocity level things? Just the absolute, I mean, we've seen stories. And then these are truths. This is not like, oh, you're making this up. What did you see? Can you share with us what you saw? Abuse negligence, gross negligence on an administrative level, abuse on just in the folks from the frontline standpoint, physical, verbal, just things that I remember my first night and I called my partner at the time and I said, I would never want a relative of mine to be in a place like this. There's nothing good there. No. There's nothing good to say about any of that. Terrible, unacceptable, unacceptable. Were you surprised? I feel like there's a dichotomy here. You come to this country and there's this richness of diversity and culture and society and opportunity. And then you get down to the ground and it's just raw sewage happening at this level. I was very surprised. I knew that it was wrong when I saw it. It didn't sit well with me. I was fine in my voice as a young woman. I didn't know how to handle it. I just knew I needed to get out of that environment because I assumed that it was the environment itself. Little did I know that this would follow, or themes of this would follow throughout my career where I would witness such acts. Yeah, it wasn't you, it was them. (laughs) It's the system. Hey, did I bring this here? No, it's just there. Yeah. It's god-awful horrible. I was going to ask you, like, (laughs) what's the worst thing you've seen? You kind of just said... Like, could it get much worse? And I don't think that's horrible. I think when someone is placed in a position of having to take care of someone's loved one and they misuse their power by physically assaulting them, that should never be. Um, And I wish I was as vocal as I am today, back then, to know how to handle how to report and make sure that the attention was given in those situations. But I also am aware that it's still happening right now. I, you know, I recently spoke with someone who was in that industry working in nursing homes. And, and she said to me, you know how many of the patients died because folks didn't want to go into the rooms during COVID. Um, 
negligence. That's neglect. So as if we already knew that it was terrible to begin with, if there's one thing that shed that much more unnecessary light on this abuse was the pandemic. And you experienced this secondhand through your colleague. Yeah, I, I was shocked to find out that it was still happening because I left the front line so very long ago for those very reasons, right? One might think it would have gotten better. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Christine. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So they say necessity is the mother of invention and that we're all kind of born of our condition. And your story is extraordinary. We didn't even get into the, I mean, people can find you, your stories out there. It's incredible. We'll put links in the series and the show description, but let's talk about how you made a conscious choice to enter the startup world in digital health to solve some problems. Because I often think that if we don't do it, it won't get done. So after I left the nursing home environment, I started working at a hospital that was close by to where I live. And, you know, I I started seeing at the time I was getting my MPA, I started seeing uh, people that were coming in were either not being heard or that they would be discharged only to be back in the hospital. And it didn't make any sense to me. And as I would question, why is that? Or speak to patients themselves, um, they would say, no one is listening. They would even thank me in some cases for being different. What did I do differently? I listened. That was it. Wait, I gotta, I gotta take a step back and process that. You, you, what was that word? Listened. listened. I listened. How novel. So after I left that environment, uh, because of some biases and some other things that happened there, I went. She's not even winking, not nodding here in the studio. She's. This is real. <laughs> I went into working in care coordination, and then I saw a whole other set of worms that was just on a systemic level. So 
I was in charge of taking care of patients in terms of connecting them with resources within the community, including accompanying them in some cases to their primary care visits, their dental visits, et cetera. I was really that connector between the patient and healthcare professionals. And these were patients that had alcohol addiction or drug addiction and or um, they were previously uh, homeless. And so working at this this kind of setting, it drew my attention to how people, how these folks were being treated when I would go with them to the local hospital. No eye contact, for example. Right. You know, there was an instance where I was speaking with one of the patients that I was taking care of in terms of coordinating her care. And she wanted to go back to school. And she, the housing system that she was living in, for her to be qualified for that program, it required her to not be enrolled in full-time school. So if she would enroll in full-time school, she would lose her housing. The thing is, schooling was that one thing that kept her distracted from alcoholism and it kept her focused. So without that, right, and she couldn't afford for, to pay for this. So without that infrastructure of having access to a, a full-time education, it left her in this cycle of continuing to use alcohol as a coping mechanism and because of the necessity of her housing situation. So after a while of seeing these patients um, really being in the situations that they really wanted to help themselves, but they couldn't get any help. And then also in addition to that, you have the, the system itself from the outside where they're not being treated like people. I just felt like I needed to do something differently because I'd seen in different health systems and different types of health systems how this issue of people not being treated in a humane way kept repeating itself. Yeah. And so I decided to start Patient Order. Yeah, we're going to get to Patient Order. This notion of empathy in medicine has been around for 30 years. Like, I mean, I think once we started all just not dying right away because back in the day you just kind of died of everything and today we're living with things and it's better but they're maybe they're better problems per se but this idea of empathy in medicine i want your thoughts on this it's you can go one of two directions like there's clearly a lot of misogyny and misanthropy in medicine and and this toxic ego from some of the older generations not everyone not, not painting a broad brush but there's also the fact that the um the system itself like is is is, is so driven by profit margins and intentions that that almost take empathy out of the possibility of communication with patients because they just have to get in there, do what they want to get done, and leave. And I know many doctors who go home at night and wish they had 10 more minutes with those people, but they can't. How do you feel about this bifurcation? I think empathy is a necessity in healthcare. I think it is lacking. I also feel empathy for those providers that wish they had more time and what that means and how it impacts their communication. There's a dual-sided problem here, right? You have people that are coming in and they they want to be treated like human beings. And then you have providers who are um, doctors and nurses and, and, and all of these frontline workers that want to treat people kindly or with empathy, but they can't because they're restricted they're restricted by time or they're burnt out. There's a there's a realistic factor behind why that empathy isn't there. That doesn't mean we can't do anything about it. Agreed. Agreed. And you've chosen to throw your hat in the ring with a way that, I'm going to paraphrase here, I want you to talk about the origin of the company, mitigates 
that missing link of empathy and helps almost like concierge. You're like the handrail that the patients need to help them go through this because you've curated the expertise to support that ecosystem. Is that kind of sum it up? It does. Am I your publicist? <laughs> Hired. All right. So you started a company called Patient Orator. It's a mobile app yeah. for iOS and Android. Talk us through this. So going back to that scenario that I just provided, or just to add a little context to that, when, when patients come in, providers don't know what they're going through before they have arrived there. They might have had a long transfer, to, you know, a long train ride. Uh, they might have been already a subset of problems that, you know, before they even arrived there. Mm-hmm. And then they they are in that setting and they might feel frustrated. They might feel a factor of mistrust, et cetera. And they might not be in the mood to talk, right? So this is where we come in. We provide patients or people with the ability to, in real time, document how they feel. Using this mobile app, what we've done is provided a structure for which an individual can record what their medical issue or concern is, um, how they want to be treated, what their social determinants of health are, and whether or not they need help for um, any additional resources. That's what the solution does. The goal really is to help patients tell their story more efficiently when they're in that healthcare encounter. Another part of that is to make sure that the information that the clinician needs is provided to them so that they can treat them that individual if effectively, efficiently. You know, when we speak about trust in healthcare, when you're meeting someone for the first time or you're, you know, in an encounter where you might not know if you can fully trust that individual, right? Healthcare professionals included, you might not want to share all the information with them, but they need that information to treat you. So there is this, that's where the application comes in. It really helps you to stay on track with telling your story in that moment in real time. And there's more to it as well. So I'll I'll paraphrase and you'll correct me because I will probably get some of this wrong. So you download this app, you create an account, I assume, and you enter specific things about you. And if there's health data you have, you put it in there. But if like you're just recording notes to yourself, so things you might not remember to say and do you send that to the doctor beforehand or you play it for the doctor when you're there? What's the in- interaction? I'm showing up to this doctor I don't know and I have an app. He's like, what's that? So right now you can show up with your notes and you can verbally say what the you know what you've already written. But our goal is to really integrate that information with the electronic health record so that the provider is the clinician can see that information before you even arrive, which would in real time look like, oh, okay, this patient is coming in, they have an SDOH need, they need to see social worker or uh, care coordination and be able to address that really uh, maximizing that time that that patient spends in that room with that clinician. And that's the intention of where we're going with the solution. So the app syncs up with the electronic medical records of your doctor or hospital? In the future, In yes. the future, okay. So phase one is just proving whether people will adopt the platform to say these things into the system and the receptivity of a doctor I want to add that that this is a HIPAA compliant product. I, I want to get into how the hell that happened because that's really hard to do. Kudos for you. But what's been the feedback you've gotten from people using the app and or are you talking to these doctors and are they saying, oh, what is this? I like this or I don't like this. 
So surprisingly, um, we did get feedback from um, clinicians. Uh, most of these folks work with underserved patients, and they want it. They want it in their practice. The issue is bureaucracy. Of course. Right? Wait, wait. There's bureaucracy in healthcare? I think there's two sides to this, that sometimes there are solutions that are being used that provide fragmented piece of what we're doing, pieces of what we're doing. And so no one wants to step on certain people's toes. But from a clinical standpoint, it is something that clinicians do want, um, especially in, in, in areas where folks are from underserved background or they are treating patients that are from those backgrounds. So let's get to HIPAA. By the way, HIPAA, I, I don't know why I didn't know this. 1996, it's 26 years old. Kudos to getting that in place and working all these years. But this goes back to our terrified nature of privacy, right? What is privacy these days when you could do anything you want on any platform? And there are so many apps you can download that do this function. Did you make a conscious decision that if I'm going to do this, it has to be this? Yes, Absolutely. Without a doubt. Did you hear that? Yes. I know how fast it came out. Absolutely. It was a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. Without, without, there's no, I'll leave it there. So what's the process to get a mobile app? What is it? Certified? Validated? So it, we are building on AWS uh, using their, their compliance um standards. Mm. And so that's part of it. The second part of it is when we do integrate with a health system, making sure that we are in compliance with what they're requesting in terms of security, uh, security parameters. So on the on infrastructurally, we are building um, with the HIPAA compliance piece component correlated with Amazon's capabilities. Is this product largely given your origin and the communities you're working with for underserved communities? It's for individuals, okay. right? It's really for individuals who have a hard time verbalizing or keeping a relationship with a provider. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those individuals that I, at points in my time, didn't have a designated primary care doctor. Um, and so I would go to different healthcare providers because I, part of my story is not being listened to. And in those encounters, again, uh, when not feeling heard, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I'm just looking at my notes. Yeah. It is, it is for individuals that needs help with narrating or orating, speaking in those settings. In some cases, when you go into an, an, a crowded waiting room, some of the questions that are asked are pretty private. People may not want to disclose why they're there, but if they have the app, they can simply show it to the uh, receptionist and they have that information right there as to why they're coming in. It helps to protect that person's privacy within that setting as well. So your feedback has been mostly positive. I went through two app products in the last 10 years. I never want to do it again. It's really, really hard to do. But we learned so much about understanding feedback, but having to respond to the feedback to make the product better. Are you still at like version one? Are you, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we still need feedback. We, we wanna get it into the hands of a clinical setting where we're getting as much feedback so we can iterate on from our beta product um, and make sure that it, it is resonating, um, not only with the folks that we've already tested with, but with a larger population. That's why I'm using the word individuals that, you know, that ultimately- Not need. users, right? Yes. It just sounds yes. so, so inhumane to call them users. Yes, individuals that need that that, that need a support system for um, both planning their communication with their providers and staying on track with their health. If you think about it, you're building a product for people that never 
want us to ever need it, right? You're not like, I can't wait to download this app one day when I get sick. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. So there's a certain level of appreciation that was built for the people that never wanted it to make their life easier because they never wanted to be there in the first place. There's levels of depth to that with my own personal story, which I won't get into because you didn't ask, but I appreciate you saying that. Well, I want you back for another show. <laughs> there's always season two. No, I, I read your story. I really wanted to focus more on the fact that you are such a success story as someone who migrated here with their family and made the most of the shit that is healthcare. To the extent that you're doing that, it's very admirable. We met because I heard you speak at a conference in Washington, D.C., and we talked about how you're you are on, you're doing a lot of volunteer work on boards. You're everywhere. I, don't, I mean, pat yourself on the back. Take the compliment. I'm very serious. People know who you are. People know who is this person. I, I was telling folks I'm interviewing you. They're like, oh, my God, you got her on your show? If you could boil down all this crapness, which is just going to exist for God knows how long, and try to fix one small problem, what would you like that problem to be with your efforts? Relationships. Between? Patients and providers. Patients and clinicians, caregivers and clinicians. And what's going to fix that? And I say fix with big air quotes. A lot of intentionality on both parties. And I don't have the answer for that. But you believe that doctors, nurses, social workers, they want to practice empathy. They're just restricted with this chokehold that they can't do what Hippocrates is dictating should be done. I absolutely believe that. I've been in the settings. I've seen the nurses that touch their patients and so very humane. I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and I've certainly seen the ugly. I know the potential of medicine in terms of its healing ability and capability to bring people together of all walks of life. I love that potential. And so that is what I'm working towards, helping patients, right? Be able to tell their stories in a way that maybe if they didn't have the solution, that clinician wouldn't pick up on that, that, that information because they're busy and they're doing 101 tasks at the same time. Helping them tell that, their story very quickly. And this is what the issue and making sure that they're getting the right help, making sure that they're asking the right questions and that they're after their appointment, that they have all the information they need to continue on their health journey. All right. Let's end on a happy note. Tell me a great success story. This is why I like American history. It's an evolution. Like it doesn't have to be perfect or success in the way that we think of happy endings, right? It's the opportunity to constantly create, co-create the moment. And hopefully we have good people in the right places that are doing the right thing at the right time to help move the needle. And I hope that all of my efforts, like you said, I'm a part of so many different efforts and initiatives that by me being present, uh, me being inexistent in this moment, in every room that I'm in, that I'm able to help create that change, whether it's impacting someone that might be listening to this to say, hey, I'm, I might not be treating my patients right, or maybe I'm not treating my staff right, right, or that we need to do something differently for our patients. That to me is change, just having people be able to think, reflect, and continue to make an effort to, to, to move medicine. I really couldn't have said that better myself. We're both in this to 
Steve Jobs, the late CEO, he said, try to make a dent in the universe. You help one person, you help lots of people at the same time. You never know the effect you're having. I want you back on the show. You have a lot more to share. We have lots of colleagues in common who I think could join us. We Maybe throw some wine on the table next time. <laughs> Christine Monkhouse is the founder and CEO of Patient Orator. She's on the board of the Society for Participatory Medicine, which is something else we're going to talk about later. I was thrilled to meet you. I'm thrilled to know you. And I'm honored to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you so very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Special thanks to Brianna Seely for added support. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.